Chapter 24 is called A Fledging Thief. He was not alone for long. Mrs. Griffin and Stewcat had no sooner vanished from sight than Harvey heard a voice calling his name. The air was still thick with dust and he had to look hard for the speaker. But after a little time, he found her stumbling toward him. Lulu? Who else? She said with a little laugh. The lake's dark water still soaked her from head to foot. But as it ran from her body and into the ground, the last traces of her silver scales went with it. When she opened her arms to him, they were human arms. You're free, he said, running to her and hugging her heart. I cannot believe you're free. We're all free, she said, and glanced back toward the lake. An extraordinary sight met his eyes, a procession of laughing children coming toward him through the mist. Those closest to him were all but returned to their human shape, those behind them still shaking off their fishiness step by step. We should all get out of here, Harvey said, looking toward the wall. I don't think we'll have any trouble getting through the mist now. One of the children behind Lulu had spotted a box of clothes in the rubble of the house and announced that his, his finding to the rest stumbled through the debris to find something to wear. Lulu left Harvey's side to join the search, but not before she planted a kiss on his cheek. Don't expect one from me, said a voice out of the dust, and Wendell stepped into view, beaming from ear to ear. What did you do, Harvey? He wanted to know as he surveyed the chaos. Pull the place down brick by brick? Something like that, said Harvey, unable to conceal his pride. There was a roaring sound from the direction of the lake. What's that? Harvey wanted to know. That the water's disappearing, Wendell said. Where to? Wendell shrugged. Who cares, he said. Eager to witness this, Harvey walked toward the lake and through the clouds of dirt in the air saw that it indeed became a whirlpool. It once placid waters was now a raging spiral. What happened to Hood, by the way? Wendell wanted to know. He's gone, said Harvey, almost mesmerized by the sight of the vortex. They're all gone. Even as the words left his lips, a voice said, not quite. He turned from the waters and there in the rubble stood Rictus. His fine jacket was torn and his face was white with dust. He looked like a clown, a laughing clown. Now, why would I take myself off? He asked. We never said goodbye. Harvey stared at him with bafflement on his face. Hood was gone. So was his magic. How could Rictus have survived the disappearance of his master? I know what you're thinking, said Rictus, reaching into his pocket. You're wondering why I'm not dead and gone. Well, I'll tell you. I did some planning ahead. He drew a glass globe, which flickered as though it had held a dozen candle flames out of his pocket. I stole a little piece of the old man's magic, just in case he ever got tired of me and tried to put me out of my misery. He lifted the globe up to the, his leering face. I've got enough power here to keep me going for years and years, he said, long enough to build a new house and take over where Hood left off. Oh, don't look so unhappy, kid. I got a place for you right here. He slapped his thigh. You can be my bird dog. I'll send you out looking for kittywinks to bring home to Uncle Rictus. He slapped his thigh a second time. Come on, he said. Don't waste my time now. I don't. He stopped there, his gaze dropping to the rubble at his feet. A terrified whisper escaped his throat. Oh, no, he murmured. I beg. Before he could finish his plea, a hand with foot-long fingers reached up from the rubble and snatched hold of his throat, dragging him down into the dirt in one swift motion. Mine, said a voice out of the ground. Mine. It was Hood. Harvey knew it. There was no other voice on earth that could cut so deep. Rictus struggled in his creature's grip, digging into the debris for some weapon, but none came to hand. All he had was his skill as a persuader. The magic's yours, he said. I was holding on to it for you. Liar, said a voice that rose from the debris. I was, I swear. Give it to me then, Hood demanded. Where shall I put it, Rictus asked, his voice a strangled croak. Hood's hand loosened him a little, and he managed to haul himself to his knees. Right here, Hood said. 
hanging onto Rictus's collar by his littlest digit while his forefinger pointed down toward the rubble. Pour it into the ground, but into the ground. Rictus pressed the globe between his palms and it shattered like a sphere of spun sugar, its bright contents running out between his palms and into the ground in front of him. There was a moment of silence, then a tremor ran through the rubble. Hood's finger let its captive slip and Rictus hurriedly got to his feet. He had no chance to make an escape, however. Pieces of timber and stone instantly moved over the heaps of rubble toward the spot where he had poured the magic, several lifted high into the air. All Rictus could do was cover his head as the hail increased. Harvey was clear of this flying debris and might well have made a retreat in these few moments, but it was wiser that he didn't. If he fled now, he knew his business with Hood would never be finished. It would be like a nightmare that he could never quite shake from his head. Whatever happened next, however terrible, it would be better to see it and understand it than to turn his back and have his mind haunt him with the imaging to his dying day. He didn't have to wait long for Hood's next move. The hand holding Rictus's neck suddenly let him go and in the flash was gone from sight. The following moment, the ground gaped and form appeared hunched over as it climbed out of its tomb in the rubble. Rictus let out a cry of horror, but it was short. Before he could retreat one step, the figure reached for him and turning to his face, Harvey held his traitor servant high. Here at last was the evil that had built the holiday house, shaped more or less like as a man. He was not made of flesh, blood, or bone, however. He, was, he had used the magic that Rictus had unwillingly provided to create another body. In the high times of his evil, Hood had been the house. Now it was the other way around. The house, what was left of it, had become Mr. Hood. Chapter 25, The Vortex. His eyes were made of broken mirrors and his face of gouged stone. He had a mane of splinters and limbs of timber. He had shattered slates for teeth and rusty screws for fingernails and a cloak of rotted drapes that scarcely hid the darkness of his heart from sight. So, thief, he said, ignoring Rictus's painful struggles, you see me as a man I was, or rather as a copy of that man. Is that what you expected? Yes, Harvey said, it's exactly what I expected. Oh, you're dirt and muck and bits and pieces, Harvey said. You're nothing. Nothing, am I, said Hood? Nothing? Ha! I'll show you, thief. I'll show you what I am. Let me kill him for you, Rictus managed to, to gasp. You needn't bother. I'll do it. You brought him here, Hood said, turning his splintered eyes on the servant. You're to blame. He's just a boy. I can deal with him. Just let me do it. Let me. Before Rictus could finish, Hood took hold of his servant's head and with one short motion simply twisted. A yellowish cloud of foul-smelling air rose from the severed neck, and Rictus, the last of Hood's abominable, abominable quartet, perished in an instant. Hood let the head go from his hand. It flew up into the air like an unknotted balloon, giving off a sputter as it looped the loop and finally fell, empty to the ground. Hood casually dropped the body, which had similarly shrunk to nothing, and turned his mirrored gaze upon Harvey. Now, thief, he said, you will see power. His mane of splinters stood at end, as though every one of them was ready to pierce Harvey's heart. His mouth grew wide as a tunnel, and a blast of sour, icy air rose from his belly. Come closer, he roared, opening his arms. The rags that clung there bellowed and spread like the wings of some ancient vampire, a vampire that had dined on the blood of a Tyrannosaurus. Come, he said again, or must I come for you? Harvey didn't waste his breath with his reply. He needed every gasp he had, as if he were as if he were to outer space, the whore. Not even certain what direction he was taking, he turned on his heels and ran. As another blast of soul-freezing air struck him, the ground was treacherous, slippery and strewn with rubble. He fell within six strides and glanced back to see Hood descending upon him with a vengeful shriek. 
He hauled himself to his feet, Hood's rusted nails missing him by a whistling inch, and had taken three stumbling strides from Hood's shadow, where he heard Lulu calling his name. He veered in the direction of her voice, but Hood caught the collar of his jacket. I got you, little thief, he roared, dragging Harvey back into his splintery embrace. Before Hood could catch better hold, however, Harvey threw back his arms and pitched himself forward. Off came the jacket and he made a third dash for freedom, his eyes fixed on Lulu, who was beckoning him toward her. She was standing on the edge of the lake, he realized, perched inches from the spinning waters. Surely she didn't imagine they could escape into the lake. The vortex would tear them limb to limb. We can't, he yelled to Lulu. We must, she called back. It's the only way. He was within three strides of her now. He could see her bare feet slithering and sliding on the slimy rock as she fought to keep her balance. He reached out for her, determined to snatch her from her perch before she fell, but her eyes weren't on him. They were on the monster at his back. Lulu, he yelled to her, don't look. But her gaze was fixed upon Hood, her mouth agape, and Harvey couldn't help but glance back to see what fascinated her so. Hood's pursuit had thrown his coat of rags into disray, and there was something between its folds, he saw, darker than any night sky or lightless cellar. What was it? The essence of his magic, perhaps, guarding his loveless heart? Do you give up, Hood said, driving Harvey back onto the rocks beside Lulu. Surely you would not choose the vortex over me. Go, Harvey murmured to Lulu, his gaze still fixed on the mystery behind Hood's coat. He felt her hand grasp his for a moment. It's the only way, she said. Then her fingers were gone, and he was standing on the rocks alone. If you choose the flood, you will die horribly, Hood said, was saying. It'll spin you apart. Whereas I, he extended an invitation hand, an inviting hand to Harvey, stepping up onto the rock as he did so. I offer you an easy death, rocked to sleep on a bed of illusions. He made a smile, and it was the foulest sight Harvey had ever seen. Choose, he said. Out of the corner of his eyes, Harvey glimpsed and could see Lulu. She had not fled, as he had thought. She simply gone to find a weapon, and she had one, a piece of timber dragged out of the rubble. It would be precious little use against Hood's enormity, Harvey knew, but he was glad that not to be alone in these last moments. He looked up at Hood's face. Maybe I should sleep, he said. The vampire king smiled. Wise little thief, he replied, opening his arms to invite the boy into his shadow. Harvey took a step over the rock toward Hood, raising his hand as he did so. His face was reflected in the shadowed mirrors of the vampire's eyes, two thieves in one head. Sleep, said Hood. But Harvey had no intention of sleeping yet. Before Hood could stop him, he grabbed hold of the creature's coat and pulled. The scraps came away with a wet, tearing sound, and Hood let out a howl of rage as he was uncovered. There was no great enchantment at his heart. In fact, there was no heart at all. There was only a void, neither cold nor hot, living nor dead, made not of mystery but of nothingness, the illusionist's illusion. Furious at this revelation, Hood let out another roar of rage and reached down to reclaim the rags of his coat from the thieves' hands. Harvey took a quick step backward, however, avoiding the fingers by a whisker. Hood came raging after him, his soul squealing on the rock, leaving Harvey with no choice but to retreat another step until he had nowhere to go but the flood. Again, Hood snatched at the, flit, at the, at the filched rags and would have had both coat and sieve in one fatal grasp had Lulu not run at him from behind. Swinging the timber like a baseball bat, she struck the back of Hood's knee so hard her weapon shattered, the impact pitching her to the ground. The blow was not without effect, however. It threw Hood off balance, and he flailed wildly, the thunder of the vortex shaking the rock on which he and Harvey perched and threatening to toss them both into the maelstrom. Even now, Hood was determined to claim his rags back from Harvey and conceal the void in him. Give me my coat, you thief, he howled. It's all yours, Harvey yelled, and tossed the stolen rags toward the waters. 
Hood lunged after them, and as he did so, Harvey flung himself back toward solid ground. He Hood heard he heard Hood shriek behind him and turned to see the vampire king, the rags in his fist, pitch headfirst into the frenzied water. The managed head surfaced a moment later, and head Hood struck out from a bank, but strong as he was, the vortex was stronger. It swept him away from the rocks, drawing him toward its center, where the waters were spiraling down into the earth. In terror, he started to plead for assistance, his pitiful bargains only audible when the whirlpool carried him to the bank where Harvey and Lulu now stood. Thief, he yelled, help me and I'll give you the world forever and ever. Then the, then the waters began to rip at the makeshift body, tearing out his nails and rattling out his teeth, washing away his mane of splinters and shaking his limbs apart at the joints. Reduced to a living litter of floatism and jet jetsam, he was drawn into the white waters as the whirlpool's heart and shrieking with rage went where all evil must go, into nothingness. On the shore, Harvey put his arms around Lulu, laughing and sobbing at the same time. We did it, he said. Did what, said a voice at their backs, and they looked around to see Wendell wandering toward them, bliss as ever. Every article of clothing had been found in the rubble was either too large or too small. What's been going on, he wanted to know. What are you laughing at? What are you crying for? He looked beyond Harvey and Lulu in time to see the last fragments of Hood's body disappear with a fading howl. And what was that, he demanded. Harvey wiped the tears from his cheeks and got to his feet. At last, he had a purpose for Wendell's perpetual reply. Who cares, he said. <laughs>